calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Warning, this week's Drabblecast contains some explicit language. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 287. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. On this week's show, hands behind the glass, please. Rules and regulations. Rules are there for a reason. To protect your pansy ass or otherwise keep you from having a good time. Let's start things off with a drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into submissions at drabblecast.org. For this week's Drabble, we're bringing you an episode of the Dribblecast, the Drabblecast's own fan cast, where lovers of the Drabblecast get together and produce their own stories. Find out how to get involved or subscribe by going to dribblecast.org. Benji. Written and read by James Rogers. They say, don't walk before you can crawl. Apparently little Benji never heard that particular expression, because one day he hopped up and strolled right across the sitting room. Skip crawling altogether. Ma and I were a little taken aback, but it wasn't until he started running that things got interesting. He ran up and down the stairs and out into the yard. A vague notion crossed my mind, but by then it was too late. Benji had spread his pudgy arms and taken off, soaring skyward. Our boy never learned to crawl. But I hope he can land. And that leads us to our feature story this week, Sweetie by Michelle Ann King. Miss King writes science fiction, dark fantasy, and horror from her kitchen table in Essex, England. Her stories have appeared in various venues, including Daily Science Fiction, Penumbra Magazine, Wiley Writers, and others. The first two volumes in her Transient Tales series of short stories are now available. Go to transientcactus.co.uk for details. So without further ado, we bring you Sweetie by Michelle Ann King. Chapter 1 
audiences have so little respect these days. Admittedly, my little traveling show isn't what it once was. We've been on the road for a long, long time. But I like to think that for the discerning customer, we still provide value for money, an experience you can't get from the computer screen, the modern freak show, despite all its tricks and special effects. Of course, it's a different world from the one we started out in. You can't just blow into town, set up your stall, and start yelling, roll up, roll up. There are rules now, regulations, local councils who want risk assessments and reviews and background checks, public liability insurance for fuck's sake. Time was, I'd parade the streets with Sweetie as a Sumatran tiger, padding at my side and grinning at all the fine ladies until they swooned themselves into hysterics. We'd dance with bears and go pickpocketing with monkeys and everybody ooed and awed and couldn't throw down their money fast enough. Couldn't wait to see what other wonders I had in store for them. But those days are gone now. Instead of wild animals, I have beetles and cockroaches and corn snakes. And Sweetie, of course. I still have Sweetie. We don't parade the high street now, or line people up outside a huge gaudy tent. We travel in a transit van and squat temporarily in vacant outlets, sandwiched between charity shops and pound stretchers, and hide from community support officers on the lookout for unlicensed traders. But for all that so much has changed, some things, some people, never do. It's not the kids. They're fine. I like kids. They're excited, wide-eyed, thrilled to get up close. They love Sweetie, even when they're pretending to be scared, and she loves them right back. Let's them stroke her back, her legs, with shivering fingertips. She won't hurt you, I tell them, and they usually grin and nod and pose proudly for mom or dad to take a video with a smartphone. But they're still ever so careful with her. They respect her, because deep down they know, I can see it in their eyes, that I might be lying. And that's good. That's a worthwhile lesson for them to learn. So no, it's not the kids. It's the ones who think they're adults, big men, tough guys. The ones who think that because they've seen the world on a screen, they know how it works. The ones who think that if there's anything to be scared of, it's them. Bless their hearts. Bless their deluded, juicy little hearts. Uh, no, I tell this particular one. I wouldn't recommend that. He blinks at me. We're in a seaside town this time, for some reason a place that attracts these roaming hordes of young men sloshing around in clouds of alcohol fumes and testosterone. Time was, they'd have ended their nights out by being press-ganged into service on a navy warship. These days, they tend to get swept out of disreputable nightclubs in the cold hours with the rest of the rubbish. But either way, the middle of the spree has to be filled with fun. Specific definitions of that word might have evolved over the years, but the general translation of trouble for someone else hasn't changed much. Fuck you, he says, this little pumped-up runt. I want to hold the fucking spider. I give him a considering look, making a show of it. I'm not sure, I murmur. 
The tarantula experience can be a little intense. Perhaps I might suggest... He follows my gaze to the glass case of stick insects, and his eyes bulge almost as much as his biceps. His companions snicker. Do people still die of apoplexy in this age? I hope not. It would be wasteful. Are you fucking kidding me? He says. I attempt to assure him that I'm not, that I'm only thinking of his safety and welfare. It doesn't seem to soothe his ire. He looks at the poster on the wall, a blown-up photograph of Sweetie sitting on the outstretched palm of a previous customer. That kid's about six years old, he says. Are you saying six-year-olds can handle it and I can't? One of his friends slaps the back of a hand against his upper arm. Fuck it, Chris. Let's get out of here. No, he says, and he points at me. His fingers are square and chunky, yellowish staining on the underside. I would have blamed nicotine once, but I suspect it's more likely a tanning solution. I want the spider. It's the only reason we came here in the first place. You said people could hold it, so I'm gonna. I compose my expression into reluctance and take a typed disclaimer out of a plastic tray on the side. He slaps it out of my hand, and it drifts to the floor. Perhaps that's just as well. It's a prop, like the fake bamboo in the cases, and it makes no sense whatsoever, although I'm sure he wouldn't realize that even if he read every word. I won't sue you, Chris says, the words barely getting out through clenched teeth. I might nut you one if you don't stop fucking about, but I won't sue you, all right? Fuck's sake, says the other young man. He looks jittery, pulling on the collar of his shirt. There are sweat stains spreading out from under his arms. It, it can't we just leave it? Maybe it's chemical, this edginess. Maybe he just wants to rush off towards the next fix of his regular poison. But there's something in his eyes that reminds me of those sensible children who knew when to be scared. Maybe this one really does understand something of the world after all. The rest ignore him. I get the impression that Chris usually puts on a good show, and they don't want to miss anything. Good for them. Sweetie currently lives in a five-gallon aquarium, the bottom layered with a few inches of soil and peat. She has a shallow water dish and a cave in the form of a small clay flower pot. I remove the lid and lift her out. The men fall into a semicircle and lean in closer. There's a very small noise, a little more than a vibration, and it almost sounds like an ooh. A warm rush of nostalgia sweeps through me. What do you feed it? One of the chorus asks. Crickets, I lie. Sweetie sits on my palm, unmoving. You could imagine she was just a model, a toy, maybe a corpse. She plays dead extremely well. Hold out your hand. I tell Chris. For a heartbeat or two, he hesitates. Vestigial survival instinct, perhaps. But if so, it's easily overridden. He won't back out now, not after so much fuss. In this modern world, social embarrassment is a far greater fear. He pushes back the sleeve of his shirt and offers me his hand. I bring mine next to it until our fingers brush. His flesh is cold, but he still jumps minutely. Perhaps mine is colder. I tilt my hand, and Sweetie tumbles fluidly from my palm to his. 
His stiffens, the muscles in his arms and his jaw visibly rigid. Another whisper of sound, the complimenting, Ah, we all wait. She moves a foreleg, taps it gently on his skin. She's reading your palm, I say, telling your future. They all smile as if I'd said something funny. Chris breathes out for the first time in at least 30 seconds, then frowns. I is it supposed to do that? He says, because Sweetie's changing her coloration. Amber bands are appearing on her legs, reminiscent of the Mexican red knee, probably because that's the classic image so often used in illustrations and films, say tarantula to most people, and that's what they'll think of. She likes you, I tell him. I don't always lie. He raises his hand, brings her up to eye level. You're not so scary, he says. The blonde boy in the stained shirt winces and closes his eyes, and I know that he's seeing Sweetie jump, legs extended and fangs bared, fangs that make no sense for a creature that size. He'll be seeing these things in his dreams for a long, long time. But at least he'll wake up afterwards. He has that advantage over his friend. Sweetie and Chris are still eye to eye. The others are getting restless. It doesn't look like there's much more fun to be had here. Are we going? One of them asks. Yeah, Chris says, but he doesn't move. Catch up with us then, huh? They're drifting towards the door now, listening to a different siren song. The blonde is the first one out, his face ashen and his chest heaving as he gulps polluted street air as if it tasted sweeter. The others laugh, thump him on the back, call him names. Yeah, Chris says again, but they've all gone. We have to go too, now. They'll come back for him eventually, or they'll remember that he was here at least, that this was the last place they saw him. I pack everything up quickly and neatly, leaving nothing but dust and whispers. I still miss the romance of the covered wagon, but it has to be said that the van is a far more efficient method of transportation. I slam the back doors on Sweetie and her new friend, and I think Chris would be screaming, if he was still capable. But he'll settle soon enough. We'll head out to Eastern Europe for a while, I think. Somewhere that hasn't entirely sacrificed awe and wonder for regulations and small print. He should be ready by then to take his place as the star attraction of my little traveling show. Sweetie doesn't mind sharing the limelight sometimes. She's good like that. was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Don't you hate it when spiders bite you and you get, like, zero superpowers? The worst. Well, we're bringing back a feature here on the Drabblecast that we used to do a while ago, because, hell, we never should have stopped doing it in the first place. The Drabblecast Kick-Ass Donor of the Week. <laughs> 
This is how we recognize listeners that support the show with generous donations, keeping us going each week. We really like these folks. Our kick-ass donor of the week this week is Rowan French from Auckland, New Zealand. Rowan works in an underground car park, and when the cars have all left, he likes to pretend he's working in the mines or some other cool underground, undisclosed location far beneath the Earth's surface. He likes running, drawing, and professional wrestling, and he really wants to know who Norm's favorite wrestler is, to which I must reply, the one wearing the least spandex. Thanks, Rowan. You rock. Be like Rowan. Support the Drabblecast. You'll find donation options off our website, drabblecast.org. All right, folks, time for our 100-character story winners this week. That's right, winners, our first-ever joint win. Listeners Varda with the first, and Algernon Sidney is dead with the second. Creativity's a river. It doesn't run dry, Lisa said when she got writer's block. But she didn't factor in the beavers. I typed in a fever. Twas writer's beaver. My plot was in a jam. I couldn't have that, so I made a new hat. Of felt, I don't give a damn. Try writing a 100-character story yourself. Post it in the TwitFix section of our discussion forums, linked off Drabblecast.org. You might be next week's winner. Follow us on Twitter at the Drabblecast. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Drabblecast is brought to you with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes, tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Raoul Izzard. Raoul's a blogger, teacher, animator, and writer who runs a blog called Inklings and Devlings on WordPress. He likes horror, short films, kittens, and puppies. And the Drabblecast. Our program this week was brought to you by managing editor Nikki Drayden, submissions editor Nathan Lee, our art director Bo Kyer, with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman, reminding you, she likes you. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.